0: My hope and prayer is that God will be with us and the Spirit of Christ will dwell amongst us here this morning. I want to talk this morning out of the book of Hebrews. You know, one of the uh one of the offices that our Lord fills is the office of priest over his people or for his people. And the writer of Hebrews takes a special consideration toward that office throughout his epistle this morning i want to i want us to look at hebrews 7:25 speaking of our lord's unchangeable priesthood the writer writes wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto god by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them he is able to save them to the uttermost Three things I want to dwell on this morning, if the Lord wills, and I ask for you to pray for me while I'm up here, is the fact that our Lord saves them to the uttermost. Those that He saves are the ones that come unto God by Him, and He ever lives to make intercession for them. Three things that kind of jump out of the verse to me. We'll start with saving them to the uttermost. The word uttermost really means complete. Thoroughly finished. His salvation is such a a complete salvation you can't add or take anything away from it. You know, when He was on that cross and just before He gave up the ghost, He said, It is finished. And the whole work of our Lord's redeeming act there upon that cross was done. Every sin debt for the children of God, for those that God had given Him, had been paid for. And it is such a thorough salvation That God works this work in all of His children, and Paul says, "Being confident of this thing, that He which has begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ." Philippians one six. Now Christ's salvation is is saving us and has saved us from our sins, from our enemies, and most importantly, from the wrath of God. Paul writes in Romans in the seventh chapter. When he speaks of the problem of indwelling sin and the inward conflict that he has between the spirit and the flesh, he says in the eighteenth verse, I know that in me, as in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform it, how to perform that which is good I find not. And if you read there from the 18th to the 23rd chapter, he he says, in the, or the 23rd verse, he says, in the 23rd verse, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity in the law of sin which is in my members. I, I can honestly feel and cry out what Paul cries out in the 24th verse: "O wretched man that I am!" In in my flesh, in our flesh, there's no good thing, and our Lord. Even even, even in eternity, when he entered into that eternal covenant with the Father, they saw that. And Paul cries out, O wretched man that I am, with the Holy Spirit's power revealing his sin to him and revealing his inability to satisfy the law of God. He's brought down to utter, almost utter despair and cries out, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Jesus that delivers us from the body of this death. We're born into it. David said in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not the conception, but the fact that at the point of conception his nature was so mingled with sin, being the descendant of Adam, and an inheritor of the fall, that he was born into an inheritance of death. And so, even at the time of birth, we are born with a body of death. A body that falls under the condemnation of the Almighty God. You know, Paul said in the, in the 11th chapter of Romans, he says in the 29th verse, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God has given us the gift of salvation. It is a grace <coughs> that we are given faith to receive it in our hearts, to receive Christ's justification in our hearts, and being saved from the penalty of our sins and the power of our sins and being delivered from the body of this death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ was a far better sacrifice and offering unto the Most High God, not entering into the veil of the temple, but entering in once into the holiest of all, into the very presence of God Almighty. And as such, His salvation, which is given unto His people by the grace of God, is such a thorough and complete salvation that nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. Now, this salvation, as the writer of Hebrews points out, is is to the uttermost, and it is unto those that come unto God by Him. We, And I'm just going to warn you all, I, I don't really take a whole lot of time up here. I kind of get to the point and sit down but there's a lot of false teaching nowadays and really it's been since the lord's been here and since before then that there is many ways unto god and and you can find god and you can find god in various through various means Some religions hold that God is in the rocks and in the trees and actually God dwells in all these things and so they wind up worshiping the powers of nature and the elements of nature. But Christ was very plain with his disciples in the 14th chapter of John when he tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's 14.6. Now, the problem with a lot of the problem with any doctrine that says otherwise is they are going against what the Lord has said. And I might say something that's wrong from time to time. You can ask that woman right there. <laughs> but the Lord didn't say one thing that's wrong. Every word that's in red, we have to deal with the fact that our Lord and Savior Christ said those very words either to the disciples or to the Jews, or sometimes to non-Jews such as the Samaritan woman at the well. And the fact is that He was, he is and was the Word that was in the beginning with God, and was in the beginning was God. All things were made by Him, and there was not anything made that was not made by Him. He made every single thing by the power of His Word. Now, just just think about that. The same God who said, Let there be light, and there was light, in the form of the Son, was made flesh, was manifested unto those Jews and unto the disciples 2,000 years ago, walked and talked amongst them and taught them the truth, grace and truth, of the very law which they thought they were following. And here he is telling Thomas, when Thomas asked him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? See, he's talking about his resurrection before this point. He tells them in the first verse, "...let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know." So he's told them, "...where I go, you know, and the way that I am going." The very way to go where I'm going, you know that as well. And they ask him, Thomas asks him, what is the way? We don't know where you're going. We don't know what the way is. It's like someone, someone coming up to you and saying, well, I'm, I'm going on a trip tomorrow and you know how I'm getting there. I don't know where you're going. You didn't tell me where you're going. And, and that's what we're plagued with, with so, so often is the eyes that can only see the things that are right in front of us. And Christ tells them, I am the way, the truth, And the life. He's telling him he is the way unto the Father. All things that Christ has spoken are true. He is the very source of all truth in the entire universe. And he is the life. The life. Notice the definite article there. He is not a life, but he is the life. Paul wrote in the Colossians that he is before all things and by him all things consist. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. This is Colossians 1, verse 16 now. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And he tells Thomas, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, as a church, we have to hold to this truth that Jesus Christ is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and He is the only way unto the Father. You can't access or stand before the presence of God without the intercession of Jesus Christ, without being seen, robed with the righteousness of Christ. Because in ourselves, as Paul said, that is in our flesh, there dwells no good thing. There's no good thing. I know in myself there's there's absolutely not any good thing good about me. The good that I do is of God and the bad that I do is of me. And Christ tells them here not only that He is the way, the truth, and the life, but no one can come unto the Father but by Him. He is the only way in which we act, have access unto the Father. Our prayers are made accepted or acceptable unto the Father by the intercession of Christ Jesus. Now, the beauty of this is That God is sovereign and God calls His people with a holy calling. And yet, here we have Christ telling us that we cannot come unto God but by Him. And in the 37th verse of the 6th chapter of John, He says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This is that utter salvation that the writer of Hebrews started the 25th verse with. This is the absolute, complete salvation. This is not an if. This is not a maybe. This is an absolute, uh, an absolute saying. The Lord is telling His people here that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. There's no, they might come to me. There's no, they, they may come to me. They shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Is that not a wonderful comfort to God's people, especially when they may be downcast by the by the presence and the realization of their own sinfulness, of their own failures and inabilities to keep the law of God, that they are given this promise, I will in no wise cast out. And furthermore, they're given a greater promise when John writes in his first epistle, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see that Christ's salvation is an utterly complete salvation and it is one in which the father has given us under the son and the son has paid his blood as a ransom for our sins and for our and we are his purchased possession we have been given to him by the father and by the power and intercession of the son we are brought and led to the grace and mercy of the father he goes on to say this is the father's will which has sent me that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now the question would be, when when were we given to the Son? When did the Father give us to the Son? Because the Son has said that all that the Father has given me shall come to me. We shall be brought to to Christ. By the power of God, he shall draw us to Christ, as Christ said in john six forty four No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And the question would be, well, when were we given unto Christ? Well, Paul answers this very plainly when he says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love ephesians one four So, going back to the book of Hebrews, He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him. We are able to approach the throne of grace in the time of need by the blood of Christ, by His intercession. We are made righteous in the sight of God because of all that Christ has done, because of the fact that we are clothed with the robe of righteousness and we are brought to God by Jesus Christ, having been led to Jesus Christ by God Himself. This, to me, is a very beautiful picture, that God brings His people to their Savior, and in turn, their Savior leads His people to their God. So we grow up in a more full knowledge and understanding of God Almighty, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, through Christ our Lord. And the final point is he ever ever liveth to make intercession for them. Fitting it within the context of the 25th verse, saving them to the uttermost, those that come unto God by him, we see that those that he makes intercession for are the ones that have come unto God by him. This really gets at the heart of the priesthood of the Son of God. For such a high priest became us who is holy, Harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Our Lord, offered, we all know that our Lord offered himself up upon the tree, upon the cross of Calvary, for our sins and for our infirmities, and as he says in the ninth verse of the 24th chapter, He is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Christ has not entered into the temple that was made with hands, to the, to the place where, the if you remember, the veil was rent upon his death, And the veil being rent, the way into the holiest of all was made manifest, and that was Christ entering into the very presence of God in our stead, presenting Himself a worthy sacrifice for our sins and an appeasement unto God Almighty. He is the propitiation for our sins, as John writes in his first epistle. And that word propitiation literally means a means by which sin is remitted. He is the very means by which our sins have been remitted unto the Most High God. Christ ever stands before God not pleading, not begging, but presenting Himself as our righteousness, presenting Himself as our atonement, presenting Himself as God's law satisfied in us, and God Seeing us through the righteousness of Christ, our sins being cleansed by the blood, and ourselves being robed with the robe of righteousness, Christ, we are now made acceptable unto God. Christ's intercession, I touched on there, were for our sins, but His intercession also for our blessings. Paul, I'll go back to Ephesians, and Paul touches on this, In his salutation to the Ephesians, he says in the third verse of the first chapter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, all of our blessings, and he says spiritual blessings here, those blessings extend to the very ability for us to get out of the bed in the morning, for the fact that we are here, for the fact that we are alive. Remember, by Him all things consist. That's not just the inanimate objects of this universe, but that includes the, inan- the animate, the living creatures. The living creatures, the living plants, all things consist by Him. I used this analogy a while back, and it, it's, it's about the only way I can think of it, to think of God's power in these things. Here we sit in Gadsden, Alabama. Okay, now Gadsden is in the state of Alabama. The state of Alabama is in the southeastern portion of the United States. The United States is about centrally located on the North American continent. The North American continent is in the western hemisphere of the, of the Earth. The Earth is the third planet from the sun in the solar system. The solar system is located on towards the outer rim of the Milky Way galaxy. And then you go out from there and you see the Milky Way galaxy and its quadrant of galaxies. And then the quadrant of galaxies in kind of this portion of the universe, if you will. You see how when you start stepping out, kind of, kind of like you would zoom out on the Google Maps, you start to see how small we really are. Now, from the largest celestial body there is to the smallest subatomic particle, by the will of God, by the power of Christ, all of those things consist. Now, think about that. You know, we go out in our car and drive up and down the road, and we don't know what's around the next corner. We think we know we have an expectation of what's around the next bend, but there could be a car coming down the wrong lane of the road. but God is so powerful and sovereign in His grace and mercy that by the intercession of Jesus Christ, His saints in Gaston, Alabama are brought together to worship Him in spirit and truth. now there are saints in this world who have to who have to come together and use words such as houses of prayer to meet together, because they can't call it a church because it's not officially sanctioned by the government. And there's other saints that have to sneak around and do and meet in secret, because they would fall under the blasphemy laws of their own country and be put to death in an instant. And yet God in His mercy has brought us together to worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, there's, there's all too common in this world when people think of blessings, they think of physical blessings of wealth and, and greatness and power. Those, those blessings, if you read and study, you'll find those blessings are secondary in the Bible. Paul, how does he open? He says, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. His focus, while Christ is, why by Christ all things consist, and while by Christ we are made able to come together, his focus is upon the spiritual blessings. Christ's intercession is not just for our sins, but it is for every single spiritual blessing that we receive. Every single blessing we receive, it is because of our union with Christ. And we have not been brought to Christ by our own wills. We have been brought to Christ by the will of God. So praise and praise and glory to God Almighty. Because Paul in his first chapter here, that's what he says in the sixth verse that all of this, being chosen in in Him before the foundation of the world, being predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, He says it is to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. God's grace is working even even unto this day. And it is all because of the intercession of our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our high priest that stands before the throne of God, making intercession for his saints, having saved them to the uttermost, bringing them unto God by himself, that is, by by his own person, not being established after the first covenant, but establishing a new covenant with his people of this priesthood I I touched on earlier the 24th verse of Hebrews chapter 9. Well, I want to close showing how great, how far, how greatly superior Christ's priesthood is to the old priesthood, to the old covenant that was done away with. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not yet, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation." Thank you for your time, brother. May God's grace be with you.